All right, Matthew 25, verse 14. I have been meditating on this passage for several months. And I, just at the outset, I'm given the punchline as I start. Can we do that? So you know where I'm going. In a, desire for, in a desire toward faithfulness in my life and faithfulness in ministry life, faithfulness in this church, I very gradually began to substitute faithfulness and fruitfulness, and I swapped them. And this is a, it's a familiar passage because this is the passage that's well done, good and faithful servant. But you know what I found myself doing? I found myself anticipating God saying, well done, good and fruitful servant. And so I, when, when I was looking for fruit, I could never find it. And we get in those moments in our lives when we're looking for something of something that God's doing and something he's stirring in us to make us like just give us encouragement, energy in the Christian life. And we don't find it. We begin substituting things in. So this this message, it's, it's just been on, and I still learning it, still learning it. But journey with me as, as I think aloud and I preach to myself again. So <laughs> we'll do that together. But let's remember, this is God's word to us for transformation, for illumination, and for our joy. Amen? This is not something to be handled tritely, but carefully. Verse 14. For it, think kingdom of heaven. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To eat to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of the servants, of those servants, came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here, made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents and here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you'd be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seeds, so I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, gather where I have, where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have at least invested it, invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with some interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, 
more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Lord, we pray for the power and the effect of your word to be upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've heard the the colloquial phrase, don't miss the forest for the trees. See, in in our Western mindsets, we get absorbed with the particulars of things. We want to know how the particulars fit together and how they work together. And, and, and oftentimes in our spiritual lives, we'll get absorbed with the particulars and miss out on peace and comfort that comes through, through spiritual principles that bring joy, the joy of God for us to bask in and soak in. See, we tend in our Western thought toward a linear thought. We want things to fit. I'm, I'm like superior analytical mind guy. And so I want everything to fit in a nice row. But when I do that, I, I think we, we miss the the aerial view of what's going on. We miss a a holistic concept. We focus on trees and end up missing the forest in our spiritual lives. And here's a good tool for interpreting parables. Principles are always greater than the particulars. The principles are always greater than the particulars, uh, especially in this category. This, this master doesn't equal God. So God is this weird miser that comes and it's not, you can't do this one for one thing with parables. They're teaching principles and that's what we're going to go with because ultimately all, all the analogies break down and you can't hold them one for one. But in this concept, God keeps a cosmic aerial view that oftentimes we, we try to see, we want God to show us, just tell me what's at the end. He sees it, he's over and above it. He sees the end. God, just tell me that so my life can be a little easier right now because I'll, I'll know how things work out. But God's saying, no, that's a particular. And I'm actually, I'm actually more interested in you trusting me. And so I give the information as you need to, as you need to know it. We're, we are on a need-to-know basis with God. And he lets us know when we need to know. But he's got this aerial view, and this parable is one in several lines in in this chapter, but even previously, that Jesus is relaying what the kingdom of heaven is like. What is the kingdom? It's expanding, and it's filling the earth, but it's also met with an anticipation. Right before this, the parable of the ten virgins who have their lamps lit, and they need to, they're coming, and some some don't have enough oil, they didn't prepare well enough, so there's this anticipation of, of the groom coming to rescue them, and sweep them off their feet. So we have all of these sequence of kingdom parables. And it follows one with the final judgment. Another kingdom parable. And within this parable, I think we find a proof that we focus on the particulars of our obedience to God, which causes us to miss the reward of our obedience. Here, simply put, the reward of our obedience, the reward of our faithfulness is God. It's God. Our obedience flows from our faith, which causes us to live faith-filled, faithful lives. So four four concepts to think about as we think about this uh, and seek to apply this passage, this parable. The first thing is kingdom consummation. When will the kingdom come? Because that's really what everybody's really, you know, it's funny that uh, people in Jesus' day, 
who are asking the same questions that we're asking today. Jesus, when will you establish your kingdom on the earth? When's this all going to end? We ask the same questions. That's why we're going to begin the book of Revelation in a couple weeks. We, we, that's a question we ask, and we're looking around at culture going, uh-huh, 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 cue, there's, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back, but we have a responsibility in that to still live the kingdom mission, to live the kingdom advancement through our lives. But here's the kingdom consummation, meaning when Jesus comes back and and everything is done, there is a delay to Jesus' return. And he's planned that delay. We see that with this master who comes and gives him talents and goes. And now in verse 19, after a long time, he came back. So we see a principle that God delays coming back. Jesus knows when he's coming back. He didn't know when he was on the earth, but he knows now. But he's waiting patiently. Why? Because the kingdom's not finished. The the infilling of the kingdom, the ingathering of the kingdom, it's not over. He wants more. He wants more sheep. He wants more disciples. He wants more sons and daughters. So I'm... We're grateful for that, even though we long and we should long for the glory of heaven and to be with Jesus and to see his face. We have mission to walk out. So there's a delay. So what are we to do in this? The second point is we are to steward the kingdom. And what is that kingdom stewardship? We sat, we see this with this talents and the, uh, the first stewardship principle is to trade the talents. So the first is thinking about what a talent is. Uh, it's hard to say what this talent is. We do know it's not something, in, it's like a, like a personal talent that we have. Oh, I can sing, so I need to, it's not that. It's entrusted to us. Now, there's gifting the Spirit provides, yes, that we should serve the body of Christ with. But this is a different category, I think. This is something that God is using to, to transfer and spread his kingdom uh, through us into the world, into a dark and lonely world, cold that needs the warmth of his grace. So that's, it's a, the, the word talent here, it's a weight. It's not necessarily a currency. It's not a, again, it's not one for one currency. It just represents a large amount of money. A lot. But not necessarily natural giftings. And this reminds us that God's the one that gives us something to trade. He gives it to us. So it's not a, uh, it's not a natural ability that we're just born with. He gives us something to trade. And we don't, so the, the, just we don't trade something inherent to us, but we trade, which implies relationships. You have, to, you have to work with other people in order to trade things, right? So what God is saying through this parable, you trade what's given to you in the context of relationships. And that trading happened as they went about their lives, as they went about their day. So they are trading, you can think about it this way, the talent they're giving, think about it, treasure. We have a New Testament principle in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that this is a treasure that's been given to them. And a treasure has also been given to us. The treasure is Christ in us, that God has placed there. When we repent of our sins and trust Christ for salvation, we get the deposit of his spirit, which is Christ in us, glorious deposit, a glory deposited us. And the Old Testament word for glory is weight. So it's a glory, it's a weight that's deposited in us by the Spirit's presence that we are entrusted with. 
So what do we do? We trade the treasure. How do we do that? That's what 2 Corinthians 4 helps us with. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. What's happening here? The Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthian church, ultimately the Lord is telling us, we have been given the treasure of Christ in a jar of clay. What's that jar of clay? Our broken and busted up bodies that sometimes infuriate us because they just don't work. The Apostle Paul is saying, so no, if it's something in us or something happening to us, whether it's, it's being uh, something in us is perplexed, I'm afflicted, I'm perplexed, I'm something without, I'm persecuted, I'm struck down. Why? God in his wisdom allows us to walk this out so the light of Christ will be shown through that broken clay. Think broken clay. Think, um, think a piece of pottery that's just got cracks and holes in it. That's what we are. Now we love to portray ourselves as whole and firm and stable and strong. You can't see any light in a pot that's like that. You know how you see a light through a clay pot when it's got cracks and holes? That's how the light shines best. And that's how people see it. I think of the story of Gideon. When he was, we love Gideon because it was the, uh, the fleeces that he puts out. So we like to use that. Like, just show me, I need a fleece, Lord. And that's, sometimes the Lord's gracious and he gives us those types of things. But he calls Gideon to lead an army against the Midianites. And he gathers everybody together. So he's got all these thousands of fighting men. And God says, I don't want all these people. I just want you to have 300. But he didn't tell him 300 first. He said, okay, everybody, this is the test. Everybody that goes to the stream, to the water, if they... If they kneel on their hand, if they kneel down and they scoop up the water with their hands as to look around for anybody that's attacking them, I don't want them. I want the guys that thrust their head all the way in the water and drink the water of the stream. That's who I want. What's God doing? See, you, you think it's by strength, by skill of a warrior who knows to kneel down and bring the water to his mouth so he's aware and alert looking around for an enemy. God says, I don't want those because that's how man likes to do it. What I'm going to do, I'm going to take the guys that just thrust their head and aren't looking around at all. 300 guys. Gideon. All right, here we go. And God gives them wisdom on how to do that. But what they do is they take clay, pot, clay pots and a torch. You know what they did? They took the torch, they put it in the clay pot, and they crushed the clay pot. And it just... The, the, the flames bloom up, balloon up. And what looks to the Midianites, they thought it was an army that they was so vast they couldn't see. It was at night. They didn't know what to do. They started running. So what is God showing? We have a New Testament principle, Old Testament story that it fits with. God says, I shine the brightest and I accomplish the victory 
through Jesus shining through you. That should comfort us. It comforts me. Verse 16 in 2 Corinthians 4. So, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. (laughs) Some of us feel that more than others. Outer self just wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. How can a man who's faced all that the Apostle Paul has faced say ultimately to us this light momentary affliction? Because some of us have been in affliction where it doesn't feel light and it doesn't feel momentary. It feels like it's never going to end. And we might still be walking. You You have issues in life or conditions that you walk in that are constant reminders that this isn't going to change until heaven. But our perspective becomes what, what God is doing in me and the light that he is shining, it makes what I'm walking through worth it. It redeems the condition that I'm in. So I don't pay so much attention to the particular of my condition. I recognize the overall cosmic view of what God is doing to bring about Jesus' glory in my life to show through it. That's what he's calling us to be faithful with, to steward. So our stewardship is our obedience to shine with Christ's light out of our wounds, out of our weariness, out of our burdens, out of our brokenness. That's who we are. So church, who we are is a hospital. That's what the church is. So if we feel wounded and weary and burdened and broken, guess what? We've all come to the right place. See, what what the world looks at into the church and says, it's a bunch of hypocrites. It's because they're looking at the church, expecting the church to be heaven without realizing, no, it's a hospital. We walk with a limp. We walk in brokenness. But what we do with one another as the church is we encourage Jesus to shine through and we point each other to Christ that, guess what, that that plume of fire gets bigger and bigger and people see it. Now, are there hypocrites in the church? Absolutely, because they're hypocrites in the workplace. They're hypocrites in neighborhoods. They're hypocrites everywhere. But what we want to do is say, God, what do you want us to be? Well, church, let's ask for God to bring the wounded, the weary, the burden, and the broken. Because that's us. It's like, well, you fit in. You've already in the yearbook. Come on, let's go. We're going to add you in. Because he's, he's healing us. And he's freeing us to shine with Christ's light. See, we invest. Our stewardship is our obedience to shine. And we invest ourselves relationally with others to see the kingdom of God expanding in us and, and expanding around us. And so So many in our lives that God brings to us. They need this investment. That's why they're in our lives. That's why they're in our lives. That's why we have to to pay attention to the small moments and the small interactions. This is a particular that I think is healthy to have. We want to pay attention to the small moments in our interaction with people to find out if that 
if that person, maybe as a believer, we, we offer a, a seasoned word of encouragement. Or for the person as an unbeliever, we offer a seasoned word for the gospel. So that we're just aware, but we're aware because we're faithful to trade the treasure that God has given us. And this is a comfort to us, the trading capacity. Each servant received the, the amount according to their ability. The man comes in and gives, here's five for you, here's two for you, here's one for you. Now, he didn't give them a lump sum and the servants divvy up who was going to get what. Because if they did that, then they would be comparing with one another. See, I got the more and I did more with it than you got the two. I know you doubled it like I doubled it, but I did more because I had five. You only had two. This is where sneaking comparisons come in. We, we end up dividing up what we think God has given out and entrusted to the people of God. And the people that we're in church with will see a particular gifting. I mean, it, it, we're all jealous of evangelists. Everybody. We know people that they talk to others and that, like, that's that one person that, that knows everybody. It's like, how do you know everybody? I don't want to know everybody. But I look at that and I, they know everybody, but there's this... There's this wonderful, unique, drawing out ability that they have for people. And they end up sharing the gospel with them all the time, praying with hundreds of people in their lifetime to receive Christ. And it's like, I'm a loser. That never happens to me. I mean, when Paul tells Timothy, play the role of an evangelist, I hear that too. I'm not, I'm not, it just doesn't come naturally out of me. Like, hey, let's just, and so I'm jealous of that gifting in others. I find myself just kind of, how, how, how do you do that? I'd like to do that. But that's wrong for me to do. Because God hasn't given that weight of talent to trade to me. He's given a weight of talent to gather the sheep, the sons and daughters of God, and gather us together in our flock and say, isn't Jesus great? Let's look at him. That's me. I love it. I hope we... Hope we all feel that when we're together. But look, there's some other scriptures that help us understand how God does this. Because we are tempted to think in our comparisons that God is showing favoritism to others that have gifts that we, or, or the talent, the, the, able to, the, the ability to share the treasure of Christ in a way that's different or, or you, not as unique to us. Romans 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Look at that. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You know what that tells me? Some people have more faith to accomplish the trading of treasures than others. Now, we think, well, I'm, I'm sinning because I don't have that type of faith. No, it says God gives that faith. So here's the encouragement for us. Do what you are faithed to do. That's the stewardship. That's the faithfulness. 1 Peter 4, verse 10. says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That's helpful for us, y'all. Because we, in our minds, we begin to take faithfulness and fruitfulness and switch them to our detriment. And we miss out on the joy that God wants us to experience as faithful servants, 
faithful stewards. See, the distinctions God makes with his servants, it's not a display of favoritism. So we can hold off on the comparisons. We can fight the comparisons. We are walking in faith. He wants us to be faithful to what he's apportioned to us individually with our own, with our own personalities, our own quirks and weirdnesses. He just apportions it to us. That just in, in a beautiful way. That when we one day see the aerial view of what he's been doing over the history of time and the salvation history that we have from Genesis chapter 1, we'll then see, oh, that's why that had to happen that way. And that's why that person, even though it looked, naturally speaking, like it was less significant than something else, it actually, oh, I see because, yep, that's the picture of Jesus that you wanted to show. He's, he's weaving a tapestry. He is, he's building this glorious display of Jesus. And we all fit that. You've probably heard preachers say this before. I've said it before. The prayer warriors that we're going to meet in heaven, I think are going to have the greatest seats in heaven. Because you know people that when they say, I'm praying for you, they really mean it. <laughs> the people who have just, they, they devote themselves to prayer. Now, I don't think that, remember, that's faith apportioned. So we think that, I'm not praying. I'm not. No, we're supposed to pray, but as is appropriate to what God's calling us to walk out and trade the treasure of Christ. So everybody should be praying, but there are, there are some that God just gives a faith for intercessory prayer that's glorious. And they're just going to be with a dear, sweet lady that's now with Jesus. Uh, she had a, a, an incur, a prayer but slash encouragement ministry where she would write people little note cards to where others started giving her note cards to write. And she would write, she'd put all these crazy country jokes in there. But when Miss Verla sent you a card, it was glorious. It was absolutely glorious. She's, she's got her reward, and it's huge. It's huge. She wasn't getting up in front of people. She just had this way of, of supporting the church through the cards and the prayers that she was offering as she wrote those cards. So we find our way to trade the treasure. Now we get to a kingdom economy, third point. Third observation, a kingdom economy where one, there's a, there's a day of accountability. There's a day of reckoning. We have accountability in two ways, one on this side of heaven and then in eternity. We have an accountability that we get that, that God is looking for us to be faithful with what, he's, with what he's given in order to give us a reward as a foretaste of the reward that we'll have in heaven. There's a day of reckoning now. There's a day of reckoning in heaven and what man sows, Galatians 6, 7, reminds us, what a man sows, that he will reap. So what we're sowing in our lives with this treasure, God's still looking for that. And he wants us to end, he wants to have, give us a, a huge taste of the glory that we'll experience in heaven. But we, when we think about that accountability, what's he doing? He's bringing two back to it. These, these servants are bringing back, hey, I gave you five talents. Here's what I'm coming with. I'm coming with the results. 
They're coming, think about it this way, with building materials. This is what Paul reminds the, the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 3. This is for us to think about how we're building, how we're, we're, we're trading. What are the commodities that we are, the talents that we're using? Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, it's the foundation of Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So we ask, we think about, are we, are we building with things that are going to last? Are we building, establishing security, peace and comfort in our lives on this side of heaven that's, that doesn't have a view of eternity? I think the third, the third, the third servant did that. He was, he wanted to, no, I want to make sure everything right here is okay. But he didn't have a view of eternity. These others... They, they had a trust of their master that they went out and built. They built. We want to build with precious stones, with gold and silver. We don't want to build with wood, hay, and straw that as soon as fire touches it. See, the, the gold and the silver, when fire meets those, it refines them and they become purer. Wood, hay, and straw, they dissolve into nothing. Here's what I've been thinking about in this, I put this formula for reward. If we think about, remember uh, 2 Corinthians 4 that we looked at, we tend to live by sight rather than by faith because we want something that's quantifiable, quantifiable in our, tangible in our daily lives. Faith is not something you can grab onto, right? How do we know we have enough faith? Because Jesus says, if you tell that mountain to move into the ocean, it'll obey you if you have faith. <laughs> Ain't nobody moving any mountains. So, does that mean I don't have any faith? So faith is, and even in, in Hebrews 1, uh, Hebrews 11, 1, we have a concept of faith, not necessarily a, a, a definition. It's hopefulness, certainty in what we don't see. So here's what we do. We want something to grab onto, so we look for fruitfulness because we can gauge that better. Well, if I, if I have a fruitfulness in my life, if I'm not, my mouth is cleaned up. If I'm living a holy life, if I'm exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit that, uh, that are written in Galatians, if I'm doing that, then I, I, I'm kind, I'm gentle. Okay, I've got that going. So we, we use those things, but here's what we do. We miss the reward that God wants us to have. And this is how I put this. Faith plus obedience equals joy. But obedience plus fruit does not equal joy. Now, these break down. This is not like a mathematical formula. You didn't just use my weird math skills to do that. But when we, when we focus on fruit and lose sight of faith, that's when we ask God to tell us, well done, good and fruitful servant. He doesn't do that. He's actually, I don't, I don't know if he's, looking at fruit very much at all. I think what he's looking to see is the light of Christ because the fruitfulness that we exhibit in our lives out of the faith is so Jesus will be exalted. So we know that, well, the, the response of the master in here is to give more responsibility. 
So maybe we look to the fruitfulness as, well, I need to be more responsible. And then reward is more responsibility. So, uh, God, I'm, I'm living for you. This is great. Uh, uh, accountability measure, however, however he brings that in my life. And then I'll, I'll have more that I can be trusted with. So we look to the more as the reward of our obedience. But we miss out. We need to trust God's reward system. The reward for faithfulness is the opportunity to be more faithful. So the responsibility isn't because we have so much fruitfulness. It's because we've been proven faithful. See, the greater responsibility it captures our attention and distracts us. The primary reward of faithfulness and stewardship and trading the treasure of Christ is what? Joy. Enter the joy of your master. Heaven is filled with joy and God wants us to have a foretaste of it now, but not just a crumb. He wants us to be full and satisfied with joy because that's the foretaste. It's going to be even more in heaven. See, this is where my illustration with Jade coming up for Sean. And we sang Good, Good Father earlier. Jade had the security and the comfort to stand next to her daddy when everybody's terrified to have eyeballs at them. She wasn't looking at you. She wanted to be with her daddy. She knows. It also proves that Sean's a pretty good daddy to be able to have that. So she has that comfort. <laughs> but listen, we need to be more in touch with the smile of our father than the scowl that the enemy wants to convince us he's got against us. He has a smile over us. He is overjoyed with us. He loves us. And he wants us to have the same security to stand next to him. And no matter what the enemy says, we say, I'm with my father. And I have peace and security. My heart is settled. Just want to be with him. Just want to be with him. Because we experience his joy. Now with this third servant, we have kingdom obstacles that we, we have to draw out. The third servant went out of fear. He was afraid. I, and he confesses it. I was afraid. Now I think his fear is based in a, he had a completely misunderstanding of his master. And his master's heart and his master's uh, entrusting. Completely missed it. But where fear shows up, if our trading in Christ, uh, the trading the treasure of Christ, we, we fear that sacred vulnerability that relationships provide. And so we, we pull ourselves from relationships rather than lean into them. And whenever we fear things, we clamp down on control. And it goes, this fear, it's in Genesis 3, verse 10. Adam, where are you? I was afraid, so I hid. And he's afraid, so he hid. And then the master says, you are wicked and slothful. You are lazy. You are so lazy. What, this, is, this hiding, this laziness, again, we see Adam do that. Look, this... This servant, he played not to lose. So whenever you watch a sports game, especially football, if, people, if the team is playing not to lose, it's a guarantee they're going to lose. 
But what did he do? He wanted his own security measures put in place. He didn't want to risk anything because risking it could mean he might lose it. And he didn't want to have any, he didn't want to have anything. Uh, he didn't want to come show back up with nothing. Faithful lives take risks. And we trust the Lord in the relationships that he's given us. And the third servant, he, he had a bunch of excuses. And we do that. Adam did that to God. Who told you you were naked? Who put this shame on you? Well, see, it starts with this woman that you gave me. See, she... Are we giving God excuses? Or are we complaining to God with our excuses? See, something I've learned here in the past few months is God, he does not mind our complaints. He minds being blamed for stuff. He doesn't mind our complaints. Well, I think he's big enough for us to show. I'm just mad at you, God. I'm mad at you. God's big enough to carry that. Because he wants us to ex- experience healing. When we keep it from him is when we keep it in our, our souls and it just rummages around and we think we put it off to the side, we're ignoring it, but it still creeps back in. And Go to God with that. The, the Psalms are filled with complaints. Jeremiah says, I make, and Job, I make my complaint to you, God. He's big. We don't want to have excuses for not going to him. We don't, have any, we don't want to have excuses for not going to other people like he's calling us to, to build the kingdom and spread the kingdom. To experience his joy. See, the ultimate crown that we're going to experience in heaven, the Bible tells us, is crowns. James 1, verse 12 tells us, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Not those who are fruitful for him. Not those who do everything right for him. Those who love him. Where does that love start? Experiencing his joy. Experiencing his his smile and never venturing far from that. We always are in earshot of God saying, I love you. Now, we should be in the middle of it, But you know, life comes and we feel like we're far, but he comes back and rescues us again. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now that all of us would have a picture in our minds of you laughing loudly over us, not at us, over us. May we get in touch with the joy that you have in our being your sons and your daughters. And may that be enough. May it be enough to inspire our faithfulness.
that I can't remember where it is to, in, to inspire our going. Uh, what is it? Go out with joy and be led forth with peace and the mountains and the hills will break before you. You know what I'm talking about? It's somewhere in the Bible. 
<laughs> but that's, that's us. That's our commission. Go out with joy and be led forth with peace. I want to say Isaiah. Somebody's going to have to, we're going to have to find it because I'm, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight until I find it. But that's what we're doing. So let's remember that as we remind ourselves of what Jesus has commissioned us and the mission, the kingdom mission, the kingdom of heaven. It's going, it's expanding. And he says this to his disciples, to us, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. God bless you.